And it's the uh, it's the Jim Meskimen podcast. Hi, everybody. Sorry to have been out of touch for a while. Those of you listening for the first time won't care at all. But I've been kind of aloof, and uh, the reason has been because I've been traveling. I've been on a uh, little bit of a speaking tour and uh, had some other travels as well. I did a performance in Clearwater, Florida for the uh, 100-year centennial of Clearwater, Florida. And that was a lot of fun. I got to work with, uh, well, at least share the stage with, not at the same time, but I got to share the, the same stage. Actually, he was kind of over to the side. No, 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 they moved the piano. It's all coming back to me. As you can tell, I was paying a lot of attention. I got to share the stage with Chick Corea, who's an old friend and happens to be a jazz legend. And um, that was magical. And uh, anyway, I love to go and do live shows. And, and every now and then I get asked to sing. And I had uh, did my singing in the rain in celebrity voices routine for the uh, officials and dignitaries and business people of Clearwater, Florida. It was a lot of fun. I had a great time. And now I happen to be in Raleigh, North Carolina. Last night I was in Albany. And uh, I was uh, delivering, once again, this um, keynote lecture I give, or kind of a keynote address to the digital government summits, which are going on all over the country this year, wherein I talk about uh, talk to IT people about finding their voice and, uh, you know, raise six or seven important points I think uh, are good for people to take a look at, uh, which I think I've spoken about before, but just this idea of getting used to your own voice, which obviously I'm very used to it, since I can comfortably <laughs> do these podcasts every now and then. And uh, well, I've just heard my voice a lot, and so I'm very comfortable with it. I know how to manipulate it. I know how to change it up to make it sound completely different, like another person entirely. That's an easy thing to do for me, because I've done it all my life. I've been able to change. It's almost like I sort of wanted to populate my space with a lot of different people. And so I developed the ability early on to manipulate my voice in certain ways that would give you the illusion of uh, having more than one person in the room. And so I, I, I don't know why I'm telling that to IT people, except I guess that everybody should become more familiar and more aware of how they sound and how they look and, and how their emails read and how their presentations are striking people. Because if they want to improve their communication and improve you know, the effect that their communication has, then they got to start paying attention to it as if they were the listener or as if they were the viewer. I mean, that's that's sort of the trick of it. So anyway, that's what I'm going around talking about. And along the way, I'm visiting these interesting American cities that I either have never gone to or haven't seen in 25 plus years. And uh, it's fascinating, you know, especially as we head into an election cycle, uh, the ghastly election cycle that is rearing its ugly head, America at its best and its worst. And, uh, and I see these different parts of the country. I zip around from the north to the south to the east to the west. And, uh, you know, they all, all these capital cities I'm mainly going to, they have their own character. You know, Salt Lake City is nothing like Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, Salem, Oregon is nothing like where I am now in uh, North Carolina. And uh, even though I'm just sort of traipsing through very quickly and I don't really, really get up to my elbows in anything, I do walk around and I see what I don't know what people are wearing, what they're saying, and what the cab drivers are talking about. My cab driver today from the airport was a very pleasant guy uh, from Somalia. And I take it there are probably a lot of Somalis in North Carolina. Um, Anyway, this guy was very well-spoken. We had a wonderful conversation about the English language and uh, 
Um, I noticed that he was speaking Somali on the phone. I didn't say, hey, is that Somali you're speaking? Because I had no idea what it was. But it sounded faintly Arabic. And um, and that turns out to be what it was. And I guess, I guess Somalia, I'd have to look on a map, but perhaps it's in the northern part of Africa and close to where Arab tongues are spoke because it had some halhalbala sort of sounds in it. And I went, that doesn't... That sounds interesting. It's like Arab. Anyway, he was a very well-spoken guy, a very polite and interested and interesting guy. You know, a lot of times, have you noticed when you're in a cab that the that the cab driver, it's one of two ways. They either seem like born to be a cab driver, you know, that's where their aspirations kind of end, begin and end, and being able to drive around on their butt all day and get out of the house and let the wife take care of the kids, uh, you know, why they complain about everything. <laughs> you know not not the brightest candles in the menorah or they're the um highly educated tremendously overqualified uh foreigners that were you know maybe they were nuclear engineers in another country and then lost their jobs or it's a war torn region so they could no longer be a chemical engineer and so they had to move to some place with some freedom where their family would not be hacked up and now they're a hack driving a cab uh, rather than be hack, hack or be hacked is the, is the law of the jungle these days. Anyway, I've noticed that there's some awfully bright people being wasted in the position of cab driver, and I think it's probably true of the whole planet. You know, there's just a lot of waste of human potential going on. I think I would probably be a true, a true evaluation of of the bulk of humanity is that there's a tremendous amount of waste. I mean, you think of whole populations; they're fo- forced into uh, you know, a kind of a nomadic existence, living hand to mouth, literally. And uh, what couldn't they do? What you know, you can't point to them and say, "Well, as a race, you know, they really wouldn't amount to anything." That's just eugenics. You know, that's just uh, complete prejudice. Now, every person has tremendous potential, and that's that's probably one of the biggest hurdles that we have to figure out is how to keep people alive and how to get them to live to their full potential because. People are basically good, so if they do live to their full potential, you can bet they'll be solving all kinds of problems for one another. They'll be making life better, uh, but they have to get the yoke of oppression and suppression off of off of their backs, and they've got to be able to uh, be organized in such a way that they can produce and make a better life for themselves and contribute to a culture or cultures. There's no reason why there couldn't be lots of cultures. So anyway, that's a big topic. I didn't know I was heading down that road, but there you go. I mean, when I come in contact with people from all over the country and all over the world, you start to look at the human being, not the American, not the Somali, not the Mexican, but the human being. Because, you know, outside of the fact that we often have different skin colors or different skeletal types or different hair or no hair at all, uh, we're all basically individuals, right? And individuals have certain potentialities and certain goals and dreams and uh, interests and uh, obsessions and, you know, favorite things. And Anyway, it, it's I, I love people. That's why I'm an actor. That's why I'm an impressionist, really. I love to embody and observe people. Um, gosh, I can't do an impression. I've been just realizing the Somali guy... I was so interested in what he had to say, I didn't necessarily make a copy of his uh, of his voice. I didn't do a voice print of him. Uh, what a shame. What a shame. Well, maybe I'll have him on the way back. Anyway, it's a wonderful time out here. Uh, tomorrow morning, I'll be giving my talk again. 9 a.m. I've been getting used to getting up at 6 a.m., getting ready, getting breakfasted, ironing my shirt, 
uh, doing a little sound check and getting ready for a 9 a.m. on the money uh, keynote speech, doing impressions and everything else. Now, this morning was not so good, though, because there's a part in the in the talk where I say, now, who are these great uh, voices that we remember? Who are these effective communicators that we have in the iPod of our brains? You know, and, I, and that's my opportunity for the audience to call out things to me to make suggestions of famous voices. And it's usually really fun. I don't know exactly what I'm going to say. I have a pretty good idea who they're going to call out, but, you know, they surprise me quite often. And the first one out of the gate was Winston Churchill. So I begin to do my Winston Churchill impression right on the, right on the money. But at 9 a.m. I started <laughs> I started to choke. I don't know how Winston Churchill did it. Uh, probably with the use of sherry in the morning, champagne at lunch, and scotch at night. But for me, it was really, really tough. So I had to take a couple of drinks of water, which you, know, you never like to do that. It's kind of like, I don't know, it's like the gymnast putting more chalk on his palms in the middle of the routine. Just seems like, yeah, yeah, who's doing the work? You or the chalk? Good question. Anyway, I did uh, Barack Obama as well. And I've learned a lot about doing Barack Obama from listening to my good friend Reggie Brown, who makes pretty good living. Uh, not as good as Barack, but uh, pretty good living doing Barack Obama. He might make more than Barack Obama at the moment. But I think Barack Obama's pretty set for the rest of his life. Uh, it's interesting, you know, we, we feed off one another, we impressionists, and we um, we learn from one another. You know, you see how someone cracks something. Ross Marquand certainly taught me a lot about Kevin Spacey, even though I did a Kevin Spacey impression myself long before I met Ross Marquand. I'd like to just make that note uh, that um, I've been doing Kevin Spacey impressions since about 2005, maybe earlier, I don't remember. But I noticed in the way that Ross does it, there's a wonderful isolation of, of sound that's very peculiar to Spacey. And, uh, you know, I, I've learned something from him, and perhaps he's learned something from me. Uh, Piat Michael, I've also learned stuff from him uh, about uh, Jeff Goldblum and others. I, I, I think that uh, Piat does Jeff Goldblum better than, uh, better than Jeff Goldblum and certainly does Jeff Bridges better than anybody else I know. So we learn, we feed off one another. It's it's all uh, it's all in good fun. It's an homage, and I think you know we we the most important thing is that you you figure out what to say, or what not to say as these characters, and uh, and that's kind of the game of it. Tommy Lee Jones is a lot of fun to play play with that voice. I just think he's such an attractive actor. There's something so wonderful and marvelous about the very kind of uh, unprepossessing and uh, sophisticated. You know, he's um. He was at uh, Harvard, and uh, somebody was telling me a story recently. Oh, my good friend Rick Stratton, who was my makeup man on The Grinch, told me an amusing story he heard is that when somebody was, a friend of his was doing the makeup for Tommy Lee Jones, Tommy Lee Jones would come in and intentionally use words and verbiage and grammar that was sophisticated uh, to just to remind everybody. It was suggested that he uh, was a Harvard graduate, not to, not to treat him like a country bumpkin, I guess. So... <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. I would love to work with Tommy Lee Jones. I think it would probably be a very, possibly a very disappointing experience, uh, maybe for each of us, but uh, would love to do it anyway. It would be great to be in a movie of his, because it's historic. I mean, he's he's one of these guys that has always been remarkable and always been interesting, like um, like another character that um, Piat does very well, Alan Rickman. 
Alan Rickman takes quite a bit of preparation to do. You have to sort of turn part of your face inside out from the outside in, or I don't know how to describe it exactly, but I have to make a kind of a closed conical form inside my face. And uh, But Alan Rickman seems to be able to do it just by rolling out of bed. But he's another guy who, when we first saw him, and when I say we, I mean, you know, probably the American public, certainly myself, there was something just unique and remarkable and and just devastatingly casual and interesting about Alan Rickman. And he has just continued to ascend and ascend. And he's one of you know, 20 or 30 movie actors that, that people just love, whatever he does. Um, and rightly so. You know, he, he gets cast in, in the best projects. Didn't make it into Game of Thrones, however. And I'll bet he's really pissed off about that. You know, I can't believe it. I didn't make it into Game of Thrones. Drat. Um, makes me think of Piot. Piot can do it so well. Anyway, uh, still waiting to hear about the uh, Impress Me show. Uh, no news is good news, I think. Uh, Pop TV will let us know pretty soon about that. In the meantime, you know, I don't know where it is. Actually, it's very hard to find, if at all. I think it can only be found uh, playing on the, um, you know, kind of the closed-circuit TV at certain airports or maybe at Fort Knox or, uh, I don't know, at... Uh, Blackwater facility in in the green zone. I'm not sure, but it's... uh, Anyway, one day it'll surface, and the magnificent show will be seen, and perhaps it will be continued. I hope so. Would love to work with all those people again. In the meantime, I'm giving my lecture around the country. Uh, I will appear in an episode of The Big Bang Theory, the first episode coming back in their eighth season, I think. Uh, So that'll be exciting. I can't say anything about it. It's quite secretive. And uh, for those who are aficionados of the show, I think it'll be quite surprising and dramatic and enjoyable. Uh, a small part, but glad to be part of it. Lovely people, liked all the actors, easy to work with, very friendly people. I would be friendly too if I was making a million dollars an episode, which some of them are. And God bless them. I think that's great. They obviously showed that they were really, really, really worth it. And their agents are really worth it too. So what a remarkable thing. It's always a little bit funny, I have to say. It, it gives you a funny feeling, just slightly introverting sometimes, when you're playing a scene with people and you're basically doing the same job, but you know at, at, they're making a thousand times more money than you are. That's interesting. It's a sensation that I, I'm sure the Germans have a word for it that's about 18 meters long. Uh, so there's that, and uh, I've been doing more animation, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mar- uh, Marvel Avengers Assemble, every now and then, and, uh, well, they assemble all the time, but I'm part of them sometimes, and various other things, and uh, there was a series uh, pilot that I did for Amazon called Knickerbock Teeter Top, which is a euphonious little title for a kid's show that hopefully will will be sold and then become a real thing. Other than that, um, I had a wonderful summer. We just kind of kicked around and went to the beach a couple times, and had some fun, and uh, I've been doing a little painting, a little bit of painting, moving my my art show along. I have this art show in mind. It's it's stretching on endlessly, but uh, one day will, all these 18 or so paintings that I'm working on all at once will be finished, and I'll get them out of the house for good. And uh, I don't know. I guess I'm always trying to be creative. I'm always trying to be more direct and uh, trying to be more expressive because... Uh, um, I have my own theory about why it's a good time to be expressive, but I, there's certainly no downside to it, particularly if, like me, you're just trying to uh, 
cheer people up or show them a new side of life or have some fun or try something new and uh, at no one's expense particularly. Uh, so it's the kind of... Um, it's the kind of life I guess I would recommend to anybody. I, I you know, I'm I'm under a lot of stress, like everybody. I beginning of the week, I look at my calendar, and very often there's nothing, nothing at all. Or like two weeks from now, I know I really have very little. So I try to just fill in, spackle in the holes with one thing or another, and, and you know, month by month things roll along. I've been living the life of a freelancer for so long. Freelance artist, first of all, is when I was an illustrator cartoonist, which was really hairy. And, uh, and then I graduated into being a freelance actor, voiceover guy in New York. And I've been doing it so long now, 30 years professionally, that um, I'm, I'm, I'm at peace with it. You know, I, I, it's all, I understand it. I'm familiar enough with it, so it doesn't really keep me up at night. Other things keep me up at night, like my little dog, Ollie, uh, who likes to bark at invisible things in the early morning hours. He just don't know what he's... He, but he's really barking. I mean, it's like he's defending us against a change in the atmosphere or a leaf that's falling off the bottle brush tree or a squirrel that's, you know, a, a couple of kilometers away. Don't know what it is. You, you have no evidence of what he's barking at, but he's just really, really letting us know. He's sounding the alarm. You know, he's, he's the absolute dog who cried wolf. And uh, luckily, I have a sound booth, and I'll put him in the cage, put him in the sound booth, close the door, and let him record demos all night, and then Tamara and I can sleep. But other than that, I don't really lose sleep. I, I am a pretty good sleeper, and uh, although I notice in my uh, advanced years that I, and I hope this is fascinating to you, I, uh, I can get by on a lot less sleep. I actually do better with about six or seven hours, maybe six and a half hours. I feel great the rest of the day. If I sleep too long, eight hours, eight and a half hours, I'm starting to get into trouble. I don't know why, but I start to get real logy. Uh, I think that's the word. It should be loggy, but I think it's logy. I don't know. Maybe it's bogey. It's, you, you played it for her, you can play it for me, Sam. Listen, I want to change my, vo my outgoing voicemail message, Sam, and I want you to play it for me. This is Rick from Rick's Place. I can't come to the phone right now. I'm being interrogated by Nazis. But remember, at the sound of the beep, we'll always have Ferris. I'll be continuing my uh, keynote addresses all over the country through the rest of the year, in, well into December. Here and there, I'm going to a lot of cities. Um, don't remember what they are right now. West Virginia, I think, next week. Richmond, Virginia. That's not West Virginia. That's Richmond, Virginia. And uh, back to New York City, I think. Uh, and a couple, I don't know, eight or nine other places. Uh, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying meeting all these people all over the place. Maybe I'll see you. Who knows? Maybe we'll run in, into each other. Let's stay in touch on Twitter. Comment below if you like. Uh, a lot of exciting things in the offing. A lot of exciting things. Uh, I've been reading, uh, narrating also an audiobook at home that I think you'll really enjoy. Why you? Heck, anybody would enjoy this book. The playwright Moss Hart, who you may have heard of. Moss Hart. It's an unusual name. Who names their son Moss? A gardener? I don't know. Actually, it's funny. His father was, now that I think about it, used to roll cigars. He was a second-generation cigar roller. What does that have to do with Moss? Why wasn't he named Tabaki? Uh, but his name was Moss Hart. He wrote a beautiful autobiography called Act One. It's about a 22-hour-long audiobook, as it turns out. And Blackstone Audio hired me to, to narrate it. It's a fantastic story. I like it so much. It's about old, old New York. 
in the 20s and 30s and about how how one becomes one of the great playwrights, the humble beginnings. Who is that young man uh, before he becomes the successful playwright, just on the cusp of becoming one of America's great playwrights? So um, that's going to be a terrific audiobook, which I'll recommend highly. I hope I'm doing a good job with it. I'm telling it the best way I possibly can. It's very difficult writing. It's very precise. He uses a lot of words. And it's taken me forever, but I, I, I'm getting a big kick out of it. So I'm going to finish that up in the next couple of days. be my birthday um, on September 10th, as it, as it generally is. And uh, I'm going to celebrate by, by finishing the Moss Hart Act 1 book, which will be available, as I said, on Blackstone Audio. You can find it on audible.com. It's probably, probably already listed there. They probably have other versions with other people reading it, and I would avoid those. I would avoid those, but maybe that's just me. Uh, anyway, I hope that you, uh, if you haven't uh, looked on audible.com, uh, type in my name and you'll see there's uh, a lot of books there that I've narrated, some wonderful stories, some series. There's the Golden Age stories uh, by L. Ron Hubbard, which are fantastic, which I directed. Those are multicast audio books with uh, some of the best uh, voice actors in Hollywood telling these wonderful pulp stories from the 30s and 40s. Air adventure, western mystery, science fiction, of course, and fantasy, some really, really fine tales. There's those. There's the Montana Mysteries by Peter Bowen, which are fantastic, totally different style. Those a sing- single person narrator, single, sh- single shooter reader, and uh, some other ones that I, I really like a lot. Also, Billion Dollar Painter, the story of Thomas Kincaid, which I had the pleasure of narrating. I laugh, it's a gallows laugh. I mean, it's such a sad tale. But just a wild, hair-raising story about a man whose paintings uh, earned him and his company $4 billion during his lifetime, which is no one has ever sold that much during their lifetime or probably long after their lifetime in the world of painting. So that's an extraordinary story, Billion Dollar Painter, uh, The Life and Times of Thomas Kincaid, I think it's called, Life and Works. Uh, anyway, I like to keep busy. I like to read, and I do. I, I I am at peace, and I do enjoy the sound of my own voice because the sound of your own voice can be absolutely anyone you want if you want to create a friend to speak to, or if you're just tired of talking the way you normally do and just want to change things up a bit, or if you want to copy someone who you remember and you want to sort of um, ev- evoke their presence while you're in a lonely hotel room uh, doing a podcast. It's a lot of fun. Hey, have a great week yourself. Thanks to Jeff Levin for the music, as always. Thanks for listening to the podcast. And uh, if you want to see Impress Me come back to Pop TV, you can email them at press at poptv.com and let them know that you want a season two of Impress Me. Okay, talk to you later. Bye.